Hi Connectors, this episode is dedicated to crushing all mental health stigmas and reminding you to remember not only your body, but take care of your mind. Consider donating to Typica New Mental Health Alliance. All right, you know what to do. Sit back, relax, do what you do, whatever you do while listening to a podcast, and let's get connected. Hi, Connectors. Welcome to another episode of Connected to the Podcast. I am here with Reed Murtaugh of Murtaugh Law in Lafayette, Indiana, and he can help with business assets, personal assets, and parents, Murtaugh Law, Safe Kids Kit, yeah? You got it. All right. And he can also help with mental health fitness exercises, so we'll talk a little bit about that. So basically, Reed, you're a problem solver, remembering self-care, and also dispelling the stigma of mental health illnesses. Thank you for having me here. Welcome to Murtaugh Law. It's nice to uh, connect with you today. Thank you. Thank you. So you're from Lafayette, Indiana, born and raised. Born and raised in Lafayette, yes. I um, went to Edgelia Elementary School. I went to Tecumseh Middle School, and I went to Lafayette Jefferson High School, graduated in 2002. Okay. Tecumseh. That's like an Indian name of some sort, yeah? Yep. Edgelia Indians was an Indian name. Tecumseh Braves. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Actually, in middle school, our um, classes were set up as tribes. Really? That's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, back in Louisiana, no, I don't know. We we studied a little bit, obviously, about Indian Indians and yeah, oh, Native Americans is the proper term, I think. Right. But um, I know when I moved here, I didn't realize like the population of Native Americans here. It's pretty cool. Everything is named after a tribe of some sort, I guess. Yeah. Yes, a lot of history here. Yeah. So Jeff High School, a couple months ago, right before Christmas, I participated in the Annie production. Okay. And we had rehearsals at Jeff High School. Their theater is amazing. It is. Yeah. Did you participate in any sports or arts program there? Yeah, I played on the golf team. Okay. uh, But no art involvement for me um but our school was very successful Mm -hmm. um, with their with their choir um show choir and yeah i mean i think um, they've even done more since i've graduated to really improve the art facilities oh yeah because if you graduated from law school 2009 I don't want to do the math because I can't. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, That's like, why you went to law school. Yeah, right? right? Exactly. I cannot do math. <laughs> um, okay, so you're from here, grew up, born, raised, played golf. You're good. You got a good swing? I don't know any terms. You got a birdie or? I'm all right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, you know, played in high school um, on the golf team, like I said, um, 
played junior events, so I really enjoyed doing that in the summer. Got to travel around the mm-hmm. state a little bit. Um, but, you know, that was the end of my career. I did, I did not play when I went to DePaul University, but uh, still, still play regularly, so... You know, I'm not a scratch golfer by any means, but no. can hit it a little bit. Yeah. Um, play, try to play in the city tournament as much as I can, so I enjoy doing that over at Purdue. Okay. Um, I've only been to the Elks yeah. Club here. Yes. Yeah. It's now, I believe, called the West Lafayette Country Club. Sure. But, yeah, it's a, Pretty it's cool. a nice course. Yeah, but I... Didn't know what I was doing. I could not hit the ball. My husband, he was doing pretty well. That was his first time, and he did really well. But not for me. Mm-mm. Um, do you have any siblings? I do. I have one sister uh, whose name is Allie. She's younger than I am. Um, she also played golf. She actually played golf in college. Okay. Um, her and her husband live down in Evansville now. How far is Evansville from here? It's about four <coughs> hours. Yeah. And it is not, there's no easy way to get to Evansville. It's, Go ahead. I'm sorry to mean to cut you off. No, I'm, it's just, you know, you have to kind of go on some two-lane highways, mm. and um, it's a long four-hour drive. It's not, you know, a straight shot, um, like driving down 65 to Indianapolis or anything. Right. It's just, you know, kind of, you get, it's somewhat scenic, you know, southern Indiana, but, um, yeah, it's kind of a, a process to get down there. You know, um, I've been to a couple counties um, just with work, and I tell you, more than one county I've been to, I've had to take those back roads. Like, it's kind of cool watching and looking at the cornfields, but uh, four hours cornfields both sides eh, not so fun yeah yeah but I that's agree. indiana right right corn so we got golfers um no art program but we got some golf in there when and where did you find the law right so went to depaul university in greencastle and was originally on a track to go to med school. Okay. So I have a degree in biochemistry, wow. but I also studied philosophy as a minor. So I think that's really what sparked the interest in going to law school. Who's your favorite philosopher? Oh, man. Come on. You, you knew <laughs> I was going to ask. Come on. I don't know. No? Yeah. Okay. I don't think I have a favorite either. Yeah. But uh, Kant? Right. Maybe? I don't know. I can't say that I've kept up on it much either, so, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I enjoyed it while I studied it, but, um, yeah, I couldn't, couldn't pull much off uh, to impress you with my oh, it's all right. philosophical it's knowledge. All right. it's all right. <laughs> you know, it would be my husband. Um, Alan Watts is his favorite. Okay. So, but I, I like to read every now and again just to check myself, mental health purposes, but. Right. Not really a philosopher, but you said biomed as well. Biochemistry. Oh, biochemistry, sorry. Biochemistry, yeah. And tell me about that. Why, what was your interest? Yeah, um, like I said, looking at going to medical school, um, but I really did enjoy um, just, you know, chemistry I think was one of my favorite classes I took at 
um, Jeff High School. Um, so I really just you know, kind of had interest in learning about um, why things happen, um, you know, and, and got it interested in, um, you know, just science research. Um, but when it came to the time to graduate, I just really decided that even though I was kind of interested in learning, um, I didn't really want to spend my time in a chemistry lab. Like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I wouldn't want to either. <laughs> okay, well, that makes sense. Uh, so after DePaul, um, did you go straight into law school? I did. Yeah, I spent one summer you know, in between um, in St. Louis. Okay. Um, but yeah, I went right from DePaul to Valparaiso Law School that next year. Um, I was actually admitted as um, part-time. Okay. So I started, um, you know, on that track, but was able to get caught up mm -hmm. and graduated in 2009. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. So connectors, we know that undergrad, you do not have to study poli-sci or English or you can study whatever you like and then go to law school. You can. That's the best thing to do, become an attorney, right? So we go to law school, and in law school, what was your law school experience like? Yeah, um, I had a really interesting experience at Valparaiso with the sports law clinic. Okay. Um, so that was an initial interest, which I think, you know, is a lot of uh, people who you know, played sports, um, are, are interested in that. It's obviously harder to turn that into a career because, you know, a lot of people kind of think that that would be a cool thing to do. Mm -hmm. Um, but at Valparaiso, I was able to, as in our third year work, um, with some actual cases. Um, so like sports law cases, sports law cl oh. cases, and there's a professor, um, who, has a lot of expertise with doping, with Olympic athletes. Oh, okay. And so the sports law clinic has actually represented some Olympic athletes. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, we were involved in one case, but it was just on an appeal basis when I was there. Mm -hmm. But we did actually work directly with um, some NCAA athletes who were um, suspended because of their, basically their involvement um, which had, you know, some different rules in um, another country mm -hmm. uh, before they came to play at their co college in the U.S. And so we were able to to do some initial work there. So um, learned, learned quite a bit, got to do an independent study as well um, as a class on um, sports law. And my third year, we also went out to California. Mm -hmm. And I went to a conference at Pepperdine. Okay. And, you know, that was all with um, some other professors and um, some people actually who had served as arbitrators for the, with the <clears throat> doping um, cases. So that was something that, you know, was pretty unique to, to our school. Yeah. Um, 
some of the prior classes had actually traveled to the Olympics. What? And oh. we had the opportunity during our uh, time. I mean, it you know it fell within our rotation, but it didn't work out. Wow. Um, but yeah, so. That's cool. And speaking of which, I was just outside watching in the, um, I was going to say the hallway, in the waiting area, the Olympics. Ah, that is so cool. It is. Yeah, and it's it's a very, very unique thing. Um, you know, I think a lot of schools have some some clinics, but um, to be able to to do sports law is, is pretty unique. So I was, it was a great experience, um, you know, and and definitely helped yeah. be able to get some some real life experience yeah. as a law student. So that is so cool. So then, after law school, studying sports law, you decided to become a prosecutor. Right. How do you go from sports law to being a county prosecutor? Yeah. Um, I graduated in 2009, so that was, you know, recession. Mm -hmm. um, there were not a lot of job opportunities. I know that... Um, you know, pretty much those law school classes, a lot of people, um, I mean, just percentage-wise, you know, were not getting jobs out of law school. So really um, just looked for an opportunity, came back to Lafayette and was lucky enough to get hired mm -hmm. and get, you know, started right away. So um, passed the bar and started working that fall and worked in Tippecanoe County Superior Court 3. Okay. Uh, did juvenile prosecution. Oh, how was that? I enjoyed it. I did. Um, it allowed me to get in right away. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I was in court a lot. So um, had detention hearings when you know, kids are brought in um, and the judge has to decide whether they're going to return to the home or not. Um, so yeah, I mean, right away it was in court experience mm -hmm. and learn as you go. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I would be nervous, um, sad, um, I don't know, like Dealing with kids who are in the judicial system now, like how did how how did you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, you know, the difference is that you're in there not just with the the child, but also with their parents. Um, so you see that component of it as well and yeah I mean it, it's it's definitely a tough thing for someone that young to be involved with the court system mm -hmm. um, you know so that side of it um, was an adjustment um, but at the same time you know, I was just kind of focusing on you know my role within that system as right. the prosecutor um, but unfortunately, a lot of those um, 16 or 17-year-old kids, you know, had 
been in the system since they were much younger. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that, that part of it definitely was difficult to see that um, these cases weren't necessarily um, you know, turning out with positive outcomes like right away. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's hard to see people, uh, you know, that the court is trying to help, the probation officers are trying to help, you know, the treatment providers are trying to help, but, um, you know, you're just seeing them back within the system because you really, you know, that's not the end goal. Yeah. You know, it's best to have um, the kids back at home and the parents raising them. Right. Because the judicial system Mm -hmm. is not a good parent, you know, or not a good replacement, so. Right. So as a prosecutor, do you pick the types of cases or can make a suggestion on the the court you would like to work in? Or are you just thrown in and given a caseload and said, do the work? Yeah, I was assigned to the specific court that I worked in. Um, Didn't have a choice. Um, And as far as the, the cases, we would be assigned um, basically police reports to review, you know, so we didn't have um, any discretion on um, what cases we get to be involved with, but you know, would make filing decisions as far as um, whether we thought charges should be filed. Um, and then, you know, in juvenile court, it would be whether think that it could be handled through the probation officer or if it needed to be filed. Um, I worked in juvenile court and also worked in Superior Court 6 and also, you know, did filing and... Superior Court 6? Superior Court 6, sorry, is uh, operating while intoxicated Okay. and um, driving offenses. Okay. Right. So even that is a big difference. Juvenile court and, I guess, traffic court. Right. Wow. Yep. So I worked, and we all moved around. Mm-hmm. Um, so I worked for about a year in juvenile court and then moved over to traffic court. And I was there for, I think, about nine months. Um, I think I did two or three jury trials while I was there. And then I was moved to... Major felony court. Oh, goodness. Mm-hmm. Wow. And out of juvenile traffic and major felony, what did you like the best? I think I liked traffic court mm-hmm. the best um, because, you know, I had um, a little more experience under my belt mm-hmm. at that time. You know, I mean, I enjoyed juvenile court, but I mean, you're just, when you're, in your first year, I mean, there's just so much to learn. Um, you know, you're just you're just trying to to get the job done, and you know, everything's so new; it's coming at you so fast. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I enjoyed um, enjoyed traffic court, and then um, major felony was just like on a whole nother level. And I was whole another ball game. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, just 
So less than three years out of law school handling major felonies. That is, oh, that's scary. Mm-hmm. Wow. So then after being a prosecutor, you went into private practice. Yes. And what types of cases did you do in private practice? Yeah. So I worked at uh, Weathered Burns here in Lafayette. And at that time, we had either four or five attorneys. Um, so I got experience with a broad range of civil matters. Um, I did do a little bit of criminal defense, but not not very much. Um, so I did civil litigation, business litigation, um, did a lot of workers' compensation, plaintiff work, did personal injury, um, did a lot of research and writing for business clients. Um, our firm was the counsel for the city of West Lafayette, okay. so we got to got exposed to some municipal work. Mm-hmm. So did some appeals. I mean, it really was a little bit of everything. Right. Um, I've only done one divorce case ever. Well, um, that's so, a good thing. You know, that was the main main thing that I did not do there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was pretty. Pretty general practice, a little bit of everything. So do you prefer general practice versus your work as a prosecutor? or? Uh, yeah, I think I did enjoy the, um, the excitement of being in the courtroom and being in the courthouse when I was a prosecutor. Um, but I think overall I probably did enjoy private practice. A little more. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, just being able to help people, um, you know, meet with clients um, and, you know, just be someone that you, know, you can really give them advice and help them when they're dealing with something that's difficult. You know, I think it's um, something that I've Definitely learn to enjoy, and is you know something that you just don't have as a prosecutor. Mm-hmm. You know, you just you don't have any clients. Right, the state is your client, technically, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, I'm from a law enforcement family, so I did oh, really? enjoy working with the police officers. Um, you know, I mean, that's who you work with for the most part outside of um, the investigators within your office and the other deputy prosecutors, mm-hmm. you know, when you're preparing for trial, um, you're meeting with mostly police officers um, to do your um, prep. I mean, you're going to have some witnesses sometimes as well, but I did enjoy that part of it since I've, um, yeah, always uh, had that as part of our family growing up. Yeah. What about any attorneys? Any attorneys in your family? No attorneys. You're the only one. Only one. Huh. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. a good thing. Yeah. Starting something new. Right. So <clears throat> I remember reading something. I'm not sure if it was the article in the Indiana Lawyer Journal, but you said that you transitioned from the courtroom. Um, so that you can become more accessible to your clients. Right. And now you have your own solo general practice. And how has your experience been having your own thing, your own boss, 
your clients can come here to your office. How has your experience been? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been great. Um, you know, I'm now a business owner and an attorney. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I think that's one major difference is, um, you know, I'm responsible and, you know, but I enjoy that part of it of being an entrepreneur, um, having, you know, the, the ability to um, be a little creative and really design um, this business how I want it and how I think that it best serves and fits me and the clients. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the biggest adjustment is just moving away from um, litigation. So I um, have really made that transition. I did um, do a little bit um, in the la- in like the first year because um, I took some cases, some clients with me um, just in the transition from the firm. Um, but now I, I just don't accept any new clients with litigation. And so really, um, you know, that frees me up um, as far as just my calendar mm-hmm. um, so that my clients, um, you know, can get in touch with me pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I encourage, especially, um, you know, monthly business clients to uh, call me, email me, you know, text me um, before they make a decision. Um, you know, so we just kind of work through and, and I can give them some input um, on what decisions they're going to make. So. You said that you are an entrepreneur, which is true, and you're able to um, be more creative in your own business. <clears throat> One, I'm sorry, this weather, like, what is going on? Last week it was snowing, and today it's icy and sunny. My throat. Um, but when I saw your logo, mm-hmm. it reminds me of Harry Potter. Please tell me. No. Mm-mm. No? <laughs> I, okay. I was like, he, he has to have had some type of inspiration from the logo. And so I was going to ask you, which character would you play? But that's not the case. So you no. don't have to answer that question. No. I, I don't know anything about Harry Potter either. <laughs> Seriously, I asked my husband. I was like, "His his logo looks like something from Harry Potter. Who would I play?" And then he told me Pavarti Patel. I don't know who she is, but that's what he said. And I'm guessing you don't know. <laughs> it's all right. Even, it's yeah. all right. Um, but that's still pretty cool. You you are an entrepreneur. You are a business attorney. Um, so how much of yourself did you use to help start your business? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, I really um, wanted to create a work-life balance for myself. Um, so, you know, I think that I really um, have kind of been able to structure things um, in a way that it makes it work for me and um, really allows me to develop some close relationships with clients. Um, So I guess 
um, you know, something that I do that's a little different just with being a business attorney is um, offering a monthly plan instead of billing by the hour. Okay. Um, and that's been something that, you know, it's just kind of been a work in progress and um, something that I've been kind of developing over time and have a lot better idea of, um, you know, what works, what doesn't, a little trial and error. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think that with a business attorney, um, obviously um, business owners want to be uh, conscious of costs. And, you know, sometimes when you just meet with them, you know, if they come to you for the formation process, um, you can not see them for six months or a year or, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times it's not until they have a problem. Right. Um, so. And the formation process is, is what exactly? Yeah. So um, really coming to a business attorney to help get your company formed is so that it's more than, well, first, I mean, I guess it's creating a legal entity. Um, so that's the, the first step to protect the business owner from personal liability, their personal assets. Um, also, it allows for structure if you business owner has a partner. Um, but you know you can you can create an entity online um, yourself. Um, but if you come to a business attorney, you're actually going to get all the legal documents. You need to observe the corporate formalities so that that personal that protection from personal liability that the business owner wants mm-hmm. is actually going to be enforced by a court if anything happens. So it's doing an operating agreement. It's doing minutes of the first meeting. It's doing the uh, certificates, membership unit certificates. So um, you know, I, I think that that's a you know, the best place to start. Um, but like I said, um, even if business owner makes that investment, um, a lot of times the hourly rate um, mm-hmm. can be stifling to communication between the attorney and client. And so um, having a, a monthly model is really, you know, just to try to create um, better communication between the attorney and the client so that um, I have more information as the attorney and can be more valuable Mm -hmm. to the client. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. I'm just thinking, um, just you're distinguishing yourself from other attorneys, not just other business attorneys, but you, I will always hear you know, billable hours. Mm -hmm. And this just gives, like you were just saying, your client a little bit more flexibility and save money in the pockets. Okay, that Mm -hmm. makes sense. And you also help with wills and trust. Correct. When should I execute a will? Because, I mean, I have a little job right now, no kids. Do I need a will right now? Yeah, I think really um, a will or a trust is to make things easier on your family. Mm-hmm. So it's really when you know you feel like you want to make 
that commitment um, because it really is something that once you complete it, it's kind of a gift you know, to your family. Um, otherwise, the laws of Indiana are going to dictate what happens to your property. And it's, it's not really, um, you know, about, well, I don't have, that you need to have a lot of assets mm -hmm. um, to justify a will or a trust. I mean, it, it really is, um, you know, just, hey, I've sat down and this is going to, these are the instructions and this is um, how you can handle my financial assets, you know, mm -hmm. which is what a will or trust takes care of. But um, we also have the other side of it um, to make sure that like, parents with young children have everything in place. And that's um, the Murtaugh Law Safe Kids Kit? That you got I, it. I love that. That is so cute. Thank so, you. Yeah, since you're talking about it, um, please continue. Right. So the Safe Kids Kit is the legal documents for guardian nominations, okay. um, which are, you know, what any attorney will do. Um, we make sure that those guardian nominations are done outside of the will. Um, and that is um, just to make sure that they're accessible. Um, but the Safe Kids Kid is a compilation of documents to make sure that everything works when it's needed. And really what we're looking at there is you know in a in a bit of an emergency. Mm -hmm. um, so if you have young children, um, you know you leave them with the babysitter. Something happens. Um, this is it starts with instructions to the caregivers that you can have um, right on your countertop um, for the babysitter. So it has all of the emergency contact information for the people that you've named, but. Also, it has instructions to that person who, you know, might be young and, you know, have never thought through some of the things um, as far as, you know, what, what should I do? So it explains um, who you should call, who you should not call. And really, um, all of these documents are in place so that you do everything that you can to make sure that your children can get to your, the people that you trust and not have them taken into emergency protective custody. Mm -hmm. So we have the instructions to the caregiver, which is a laminated document, but also we have the ID cards. Okay. So that's another, you know, a little bit of creativity, a little different. Mm -hmm. um, it's not necessarily, you know, a legal necessity, um, but it's something that we like to do. And um, so I have, you know, an ID card in my wallet, and it's, um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, something that is important. Mm -hmm. Very helpful, especially summer's coming up, spring break's coming, and, <clears throat> I mean, God forbid anything happens, like on highways and the air, but, right. yeah. Yeah, and, you know, it's looking at, what will happen on that night? You know, mm -hmm. if, and you know, it's the worst case scenario, but that's what attorneys look at. Right. You know, and that's that's what we're, that's what our job is. So, um, you know, traditional will or a trust is more looking at, you know, what's going to happen 
with property, um, you know, and that if you choose to go with a will, you know, you're basically set, setting up a court case. You know, mm -hmm. your family's going to have to go to court. Um, the main difference with a trust is that it's private. Um, but with the Safe Kids Kit, you're really looking at what's going to happen on that night of the accident. Mm -hmm. um, and so you have to have people with legal authority to um, have custody of the kids, but we also want to make sure that the caregivers can get medical care for the children. So we have you know, minor power, minor um, power of attorney so that that person can take care of the children and it gives the um, officials who are going to come and, you know, be involved likely to some extent, um, Department of Child Services, you know, gives them confidence that they don't need to open a formal case, um, that they don't need to get involved, you know, because everything has, is, is there legally uh, for the kids and the family to, to do it without um, the involvement of DCS. That makes sense. That's very helpful. So what about, you have kids, um, what about if you are the guardian or you said earlier power of attorney and a little bit, I want you to explain what a power of attorney is or what it means. Um, what about an adult? Like, could you create something like this, like a safe adult kit? For someone, like an adult person who's under the guardianship of another adult, for an example. Yeah, so guardianship is really completely different than naming guardians. Okay. Um, so we're naming guardians for minor children um, because the law treats um, minors differently. Um, and you're going to, if uh, parents pass away and leaving minor children, you know, the court's going to have to get involved to appoint a guardian. So what we do is we are going to be naming what's called in Indiana the designated, designated standby guardian, okay? And that person has the authority for 90 days to act. And then they have to file a petition and actually get appointed by the court as the permanent guardian. I see. Um, so there's no guarantee um, you know, that it is going to be up to a judge, but what we're doing is saying, judge, this is what the parents left mm -hmm. as their instructions. So, you know, you're going to be naming who you specifically want. Mm -hmm. um, and then you can also do a confidential exclusion of guardian. If you have anyone in your family that you have concerns and you can list that. Um, and what a lot of people don't think about um, until they kind of you know talk to an attorney as well we don't we're not too worried like we have plenty of family um, you know we know that we have people who will take care of the children mm -hmm. what that can actually lead to though is a litigation right. because you have multiple people who want to help mm -hmm. and you know there's no bad intent on on the, those people's part um, but the judge has to pick and so that can be expensive and as soon as you get, you know, an adverse court case, I mean, you know, it can just cause tension within the family. Yeah. Um, so that's really what's going to happen 
if you don't have the instructions from the parents saying, this is who we've sat down and this is who we have decided. So that's really you know, what we're doing with uh, guardian nominations. Um, for adults, it's really um, you know, a completely different process um, for an adult who needs a guardian um, while they're living um, because of specific needs that they have. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's more of a, um, a trial work or trial attorney um, matters. And I, I don't handle any like adult guardianship mm -hmm. matters. Um, but, you know, can just generally advise um, people in that, that regard. But. Okay. Um, and a power of attorney? Yeah, so power of attorney is for your finances. Um, it's a legal document where you're allowing someone to handle financial matters for you if you cannot. I see. Um, so as long as you're still able to make decisions and you have your full mental capabilities, then your power of attorney will need to come to you and discuss things with you and get your approval before they do it. Mm -hmm. um, if you're unable to act, then they can act without talking to you. Um, there's really two different ways um, to set that up. And one is to just have the, the attorney in fact, who's the person who has the authority, has the authority um, immediately. Um, the other way you can set it up to be a little more protective is that you need a doctor's determination that the person is unable to act. Um, but the problem you can run into there um, is that if you don't have a medical release, mm -hmm. then you can't get the letter from the doctor. I see. So we do, uh, when you when you set up those kind of plans, you will have a release sign, but you know, then you're kind of hoping that it's still effective or that that specific hospital or doctor is going to be, you know, accepting that that release is sufficient, you know, because mm -hmm. a lot of times when you're just trying to get medical records, I mean, it can be um, a little difficult um, to meet the certain you know, specific requirements of a provider. So you have to, that's where, you know, it seems like kind of a, um, a simple form. Yeah. Um, and you have, um, you know, plenty of ways to get forms mm -hmm. for legal documents on the internet. Right. Um, but those kind of things that we talk through with our clients and we give them the options, we give them the information so that they can make those informed decisions on what they want, you know, it's really... Um, the service that we provide as attorneys and why um, you know, I think it's it's valuable to to invest in that instead of trying to do it on online um, because you can really uh, do some harm mm -hmm. um, if you have legal documents in place you know that that aren't right right. That's so true. <clears throat> and the reason I was asking about um, a power of attorney, uh, and now I understand what it is, but I guess going back to the Murtaugh Law Safe Kids Kit for adults, 
just um, some experiences I've gone through these past couple of months and thinking about adults who um, experience mental health issues and they aren't able to talk for themselves or they um, aren't able to say the things that they don't want during a medical procedure. Um, So along those lines, that's Mm -hmm. where my thought process was coming from. Yeah. And for any um, adult, when you're doing the legal documents, you're going to do a will, you're going to do a power of attorney, um, but you're also going to do a medical power of attorney, you do a living will. Um, you know, so those also, you know, similar, um, medical power attorney, basically you're choosing someone that can make metal, medical decisions for you if you're unable to. I see. Uh, but it really does go to the, to the physician, you know, to give that opinion on, um, you know, whether someone is able to make decisions on their own or not. Mm-hmm. And... Um, even if you have a, um, a medical power of attorney in place, as long as you know, someone is able to communicate with you, then you should be going to them and getting their um, thoughts and input. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to transition a little bit and talk about your mental health fitness exercises. When did you find mental health fitness exercises and how has it helped you? Sure. So, you know, I've always um, just kind of learned um, through um, you know, my personal experience with um, depression, anxiety. Um, you know, I've gone to therapy, I've taken medicine. So, I um, decided that I wanted to share my experience publicly and, um, you know, wanted to do it in a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. Um, so was able to get connected with the Indiana lawyer and really, um, you know, I had always kind of done things on my own, but really didn't even think about um, mental health exercises or, you know, um, kind of formalizing what I had just kind of learned to do on my own until I started writing the articles. Hmm. So, um, you know, it's kind of a creative process through writing the articles um, and tried to kind of take what I've learned or, you know, um, have have done on my own and add in a component that could help Lawyers, you know, mm-hmm. that made it a little. So the each article I've written five now, but each article has a mental fitness exercise in it. I see. And so the um, exercise is kind of something that I've learned of, um, you know, been taught or whatever. But it's in addition, kind of um, geared towards the practice of law and how you could incorporate it into your own practice. Okay. Your own, you know, day working as an attorney. Um, you know, I guess an example is um, scheduling uh, time for yourself. Like, if you have to go to 
court in another county, you know, maybe scheduling a detour, you know, so that you take 15 minutes out and just, you know, do whatever you do, um, you know, if that's listen to music or if it's having quiet time. Um, but, you know, that's just kind of uh, how I created those exercises. And um, they're really, you know, it's kind of a work in progress that I do for, for each one. So it's a quarterly column. Okay. So it's still have three left to write for this year and then we'll we'll see i'm excited for you that's thank you because you don't think about like you're just saying 15 minutes like just drive uh i don't know to mcdonald's or something sit in the parking lot play with their wi-fi i guess use their wi-fi and you think oh wait i have to do i have to go to the gym for a whole hour to get you know these minutes to myself when you can just go through a drive-through or take a detour. Yeah, and you know we know we all know how important time is. Yes. Um, you know, even re- regardless of what type of law you practice, um, you know, but especially if you have billable hour requirements. Right. I mean, we all have you know um, a lot to fit into a little amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's what I've really try to focus on is um, what can you do in a very short amount of time. Mm-hmm. And um, kind of the other thing that I've, I've learned um, about these exercises that I like is that it's something that you can like do and just check off the list and complete. Um, because a lot of um, things that we work on as attorneys are very hard to complete. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not uncommon to have, uh, you know, litigation go on for multiple years. Um, you know, if you have um, a business transaction, it can be, you know, a very lengthy process. Um, you know, a lot of things is just kind of, um, you're, the job's never done. I mean, you're just, you have a client and you're looking out for them and, you know, you have that ongoing um, obligation. Um, so I think that, um from like a, a health perspective and trying to take care of yourself can be really important just to um, say, I'm gonna take three minutes mm-hmm. or I'm gonna take five minutes because the important thing is to get it done. And in the articles I've written about, you know, how oh, I kind of thought that I would be able to do this daily, but now I realize that that's not realistic. Mm. Um, and I think it's, it's important to share that because um, you know you don't you don't have to do um, do things perfectly, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> you know. And I think that that's um, something that it's hard for me um, to learn. But um, you know, I think that that's important important component of this is that um, you can you can do a lot for yourself with um, you know just just a little amount of of time but it's a it's a hard habit to get into it is because um, it's it's not something that you do when you're kind of on autopilot mm-hmm. you know when everyone's busy um, you know we have our normal routines and you know it's um, it's just a lot more 
commonplace, like just within um, you know our, our normal cultures, you know, just how other people work in the your firm or you know in the courthouse. I mean, everyone just kind of goes, 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 goes. So true. And so I realized that um, you know by writing about this and you know trying to incorporate um, some mindfulness, um, you know, like one of the things that I've written about is just like a three minute body scan. Oh yes, um, I remember reading you know, that. Those doing those things are are great, but it's also um, kind of just a different way to live, mm-hmm. you know, um, that is, uh, it's, it's, I've found it very, um, helpful. I mean, I think, um, just overall, just sharing my experience about, um, having bipolar two, um, about writing publicly, um, overall, like it's just been very positive, like towards my mental health, but, you know, just finding more enjoyment within the daily work of being a lawyer. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it's just something that it's worked for me, you know, and I don't know that that means that sharing publicly is, is something that is the right thing or will work for everyone else. Um, and I don't, so I don't necessarily, you know, like give people that advice that they should do it. Mm -hmm. Um, because it's, you know, it was, there's a lot of considerations that um, I had to think about um, and, you know, where I'm at in my life and my practice, you know, that all really plays into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- you know, I think that being on my own and um, feeling that I have, um, you know, kind of full control over my business probably makes it a little easier, yeah. honestly. You know, I mean, I don't have to worry about um, how I'm affecting, you know, other people in the firm or anything like that. Um, Just your client. (laughs) Right. Yeah, I mean, there. I knew that there was a lot of um, risk. Mm -hmm. Um, And as far as, you know, I don't know what people will think um, Mm -hmm. or if people won't hire me um, just because of sharing. But um, like I said, it has been so positive and I just, I just knew that it was something that I needed um, to do for my mental health and like just making the practice of law like work for me. Right. Um, I, I basically, you know, decided in 2015, like, you know, this is just not something like that's working for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew that it was kind of affecting just, you know, my work. Um, you know, I just, I just didn't feel, um, fully like engaged and like really, um, like I had felt, I guess, you know, before. Um, you know, I, I just kind of at least like, and I think I was lucky to recognize that. Um, so when I recognized that, I was like, all right, I need to really like make some changes. And so what I did was just tried to, to do everything that I could. And, you know, if I was um, already going to therapy, I, um, looked at other 
um, things that I could do to kind of push myself. Um, so I did, um, you know, get involved with JLAP, um, the Judges Lawyers Assistance Program. Um, I was able to get connected with some people in Indianapolis um, and went down um, and, and met with some people who really helped, um, just, um, you know, other attorneys who have dealt with something similar. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, just, I think that was a big starting for, point for me. And I mean, it wasn't until uh, I think the fall of 2016 that I decided to share my diagnosis publicly. And I first did that on Facebook. And then it was 2017 um, when I wrote the first article. And, you know, it was it was difficult mm-hmm. um, and it's become easier and easier to talk about it um, and I kind of forget about how hard it was and you know the the uh, feelings that I went through mm-hmm. um, when I was thinking about should I do this or not um, so I have I, and it's definitely easier for me to write um, than talk about it I'm um, a lawyer. Right. We do a lot of writing. Yeah. And talking, really, but... Yeah. Um, So, the first time that I spoke was this past summer, uh, or fall, I guess. Um, So, you know, we have a monthly luncheon for the Tippecanoe County Bar Association, and so they... um, I asked them if that would be something they were interested in, and they invited me to do that, so... uh, that was the first time that I gave a guess presentation or talk on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but How was that for you? It was um, it was very positive in um, the responses and like you know the questions that I got. Um, but it is it is hard to um, I guess like in 60 minutes or, you know, in a sh- very short period of time, like find the right way to explain mm-hmm. and, um, you know, not necessarily get, I think a lot of people um, don't know, you know, a, a lot about um, bipolar or the symptoms. Um, so that's what it can be. Um, easy to kind of focus on um, and it you know for me I like to share and I like to help um, but I also don't want like the disease to be my identity Correct. you know so um, I think it it'll be easier um, just as I do it mm-hmm. um, to kind of find like what's the best way to present um, and share with people um, who are, you know, coming in off of lunch um, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, kind of receiving this information that is like just something that, you know, I deal with and think about all the time, but really, um, you know, something that the people, a lot of people, it's like not on their radar, mm-hmm. you know. I like the article that you wrote for the Indiana Lawyer and the title is Mental Fitness, I'm Not Scared of the Bipolar Stigma. And I think that's 
a perfect title because you shouldn't be scared. Like you are running a successful business and no, it's not your identity. That's just something that you're surviving and you're working through. And so at luncheons or whenever you speak again, it's just you speaking as an attorney with this, as you put it, this nasty disease. Right. Like, it's okay. And I think it's amazing that you're able to share your experience um, being an attorney with this. Yeah. And it's not stopping you. So I think just saying that in and of itself is a mouthful. Just because doesn't mean. Right. That's that's amazing. I'm I'm really proud of you. Thank you. Um, because I can imagine how hard it is one accepting your diagnosis, then having to live a life, provide for your family, your cute baby. Yes, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. And also, as you said, and you face the stigma. Um. So yeah, just so you know, I am very proud of you. Appreciate it. Um, When you spoke about Bipolar 2, what was your major, your main concern? Um, I mean, like fear? Yeah, like what what dilemma? Because I know like um, mental health, like um, there are different types of mental health disorders and people think, oh, you have this disorder, then you must not be able to do X, Y, Z, or you must be a dangerous person. Right. Yeah. I think that um, just with, um, you know, sharing or, you know, people knowing um, that I have bipolar 2, um, I think it's just the headlines or, you know, the, the, the news stories that are associated with like the worst case scenarios mm-hmm. um, and just um, you know I know for me like it's um, it's a very different um, experience than you know a lot of other people um, who have even you know the same type of bipolar like bipolar 2 for one person can be so different you know um, bipolar 1 is so different um, but you don't really know um, what people just overall think, Mm -hmm. you know, I think, um, you know, if, if people just kind of associate, um, the disease with like violence Mm -hmm. or, you know, um, they see headlines with, um, you know, mass shootings or school shootings or anything like that, like, um, that's just a reality. You know, like, um, if I talk about, if I'm public about my, disease, um, you know, there's a possibility that that association is going to be made. And like, Mm -hmm. that's just something that, you know, I'm aware of, like, and, you know, it's just, it's just part of it. Um, I, I know, you know, that if people really understand, you know, and are educated, um, you know, that um, the stats don't show, you know, that um, people who have mental health issues are, you know, more likely to be violent, you know, especially um, violence against others. Um, I mean, you know, there's a lot of people who, um, 
do end up violent towards themselves, not necessarily suicide, but, you know, just harmful behaviors. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, sharing the diagnosis, um, just kind of puts that out there that people might, um, you know, kind of associate you with, um, the very worst things that they know of, Mm -hmm. um, or, um, or maybe, um, things that, you know, they're, scared of, um, but, you know, for me, it's really, um, I make myself and the disease, like, that I have to deal with, like, a bigger priority than that, mm-hmm. um, and I'm not nearly as worried about, um, you know, the stigma or what people think as the disease, and if it wasn't, you know, impacting me on a regular mm-hmm. basis, like, well, I wouldn't feel that strongly. Right. Um, but it was just something that, um, yeah, I mean, I considered all of those things. Also, I think that, uh, you know, we're, we are making improvements overall. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was hopeful that, you know, that we're going to see some big changes just in um, the number of people who decide to be public about it. And um, you know, I'm hopeful that it's not so different um, with, you know, someone who has something that's really, you know, your brain, which is you know, a pretty physical thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, you know, we think of it so much differently than someone who has cancer or someone who has diabetes. Yes. But, you know, um, I think that, you know, cult- culturally, things have changed in other areas. You know, I mean, even with cancer, you know, there used to be a stigma of, you know, people who had cancer and now look at, right. you know, how much we embrace um, people who have dealt with that and who have survived and, um, you know, how public everyone is about um, raising money and awareness. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's, you know, 2018, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, it's hard to measure, you know, and we'll never really, you know, know, like, um, you know, the stigma's you know, still here or gone. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think that that was something I definitely, like, looked at, you know, just kind of, like, did some reading and, and I, I felt that um, things are moving that direction. Um, well, we have people like you. Right. So. So, yes, please, please. If a professional, an innovator, cultural thinker, and you are suffering with a mental health disease, I would say I would want to... I wouldn't say no, but I would want the person to be able to share their experiences. Um, just myself, I want to help everybody and just say, it's okay, it's okay, just let me know like what I can do for you so that you can continue. But just hearing your story helps me um, know that, hey, things can get rough at times. Right. And you just work through 
what's presented because we're problem solvers. Right. So um, just a few more questions um, on that. During your periods, um, is it hypomanic? Yes. Hypomanic periods when you are um, experiencing, um, is it depression or anxiety? Uh, so with bipolar 2, um, there's both depression and there's the more um, hypomanic when you would um, feel more of an elevated mood. Um, I've never really had like a, what I would say, like a really highly elevated mood um, or you know, like full mania where like it's out of control mm -hmm. um, or something that's like impairing. I felt that the depression has been, you know, what I've struggled with like on the impairment side a lot more. So for me, it's mostly been um, times when, you know, I just feel like I don't need nearly as much sleep. Um, I'm probably working a lot more, um, but also it can get, um, you know, kind of where your your brain is working mm -hmm. more and not necessarily you're being more productive. Um, you know, you just have kind of more ruminating thoughts. I mean, it can kind of wear you out a mm -hmm. little bit. And really the, the biggest downside of it is that you can kind of crash after that swing. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, it has been something that, um, you know, I've at least been able to like, Kind of be aware of it, um, but it hasn't been nearly as problematic um, on that side of it. Um, so, you know, I've always, um, you know, been able to work and, you know, do my job and advise clients and, you know, come home and, um, you know, be a dad, be a husband. Um, Pretty much in the same way as I normally do, like during those times. Mm -hmm. um, but it's really for me when um, the depression hits that it's it can be um, very hard just to um, do those things that I normally enjoy and do well, like to the same ability. And for the most part, like I don't have to take time off of work. Um, oh, that's good. Yeah, I mean it's you know it's something that I can um, manage in a way to. Um, you know, for the most part, get through it mm -hmm. without um, having to like sacrifice or um, miss out. But at the same time, it's um, it's kind of a suffering period. Yeah. Um, but those like main symptoms for me, um, you know, are probably the best that they've been in a long time. And I think that those um, are the things that you can really get to the point of close to. Um, having them kind of um, remediated or, you know, resolved. Mm -hmm. um, but there's, um, you know, just a lot of um, other kind of hidden symptoms that you learn about and um, that are, uh, you know, things that you just do the best that you can to manage and um, live well and um, not let it impact you know, your work or your family or, you know, any of your mm -hmm. relationships. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's definitely something that I think um, you can live well and you can um, definitely have a lot of success 
Um, but at the same time, um, it is nasty in the sense that, um, you know, it's um, always something that you have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, um, you know, that's that can just be like very, very hard. Yeah. Um, and it's something that you have to um, work pretty, pretty hard at and like do things that other people don't have to do, mm-hmm. you know, just to kind of take care of yourself. But that's what um, people have to do with physical illnesses, right. you know. Um, you just make adjustments and you do the treatment. And I mean, I feel lucky with bipolar specifically, though, that I don't have the challenges of not taking medicine or not being compliant with treatment because mm-hmm. um, there can be um, you know, that certainly can be a component of the disease. Oh, that's nice. Um, and, you know, that's that's even harder. Yeah, because um, I was going to ask, like, you, I'm seeing your success. Like, have you ever been tempted to ever stop medications or stop going to therapy because you are doing so well? So I have been on medication um, without going off of it since my third year of law school. Um, I started taking medicine when I was 18. Um, and so, you know, I had some of that um, in, when I was younger, um, but not now. No, mm-hmm. I mean, um, you know, like I said, I think with, especially with, um, you know, just intense depression or um, kind of anything that is impairing me, like I feel that I'm at, one of the best places um, that I've been, but um, no, I don't. I don't feel like um, you know, I'm gonna stop going to therapy. Like I go once every two weeks, um, and not gonna stop taking my medicine. Like I, you know, it, but I'm, you know, at that stage in my life mm-hmm. um, where I've accepted that, um, and it's a lot harder when you're younger, yeah. um, and. Um, I think that, you know, there's a lot of times hope that, like, it's just going to completely go away, mm-hmm. um, you know, that you don't really, it's not permanent or, you know, it's just something that everyone deals with, with depression or anxiety, because that is true. Mm-hmm. Um, but the difference is, you know, just the um, the level of the symptoms, you know, mm-hmm. and um, the longevity of it is um, something that, you know, I've accepted, like, this is part of who I am, mm-hmm. and, um, yeah, I think I've, I'm lucky in my career to have um, started this at this point. I think, you know, I definitely could have gotten by um, with, you know, kind of um, not feeling the best, uh, maybe not... Um, performing the best but you know getting by and then um that would probably catch up to me you know later on and it's a lot harder um Mm -hmm. later the more you get into you know being um in bad habits or you know in bad health Mm -hmm. i mean i think you know just like um with your physical health you know the, the more out of shape or overweight you get, the harder it's to correct. And so I feel lucky that uh, I was able to 
kind of do the hard things um, when I needed to, and now you know feel like pretty pretty stable and pretty um, in a pretty good place to take care of myself first and try to help some other people. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I mean, it's an ongoing ongoing thing. So taking care of self first is so important. It is. And that's, you know, something that's hard for attorneys to do yeah. uh, because within the job, you're always thinking of taking care of others and other people coming to you right. for help. So taking care of yourself is important, but also asking for help mm-hmm. when you need it is, you know, it, probably the most important way to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very hard for most attorneys in um, other professionals, you know, right? Yeah. So, um, but it's been it's been a great experience writing for the Indiana lawyer. Um, so I've been in touch with people all over the country. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I have an email address um, that I put in the articles, so people can email me, and so I had. Um, people in California, people in Pennsylvania, wow. um, and then after I wrote the first article, I was contacted by BP Magazine, and they um, saw that and wanted to do an article, um, and they have readership in U.S. and Canada, so cool. um, after that was published and shared through social media, I was... Mm-hmm. Um, connected with a law student in Canada. Oh, nice. So it's, you know, something that all kind of started in Lafayette, Indiana, you know, was just, you know, um, not really knowing where Mm -hmm. this would go. I mean, I, you know, honestly, like, had no idea um, where, um, just the general idea to, like, share and write would go, but it's it's uh, been been pretty cool. Wow! Yeah, that is cool. Well, I have an opportunity for you. All right, all right. So this portion of the show, we can go anywhere in the world, literally anywhere. Someone went to heaven. Someone went to yeah, anywhere in the world. So. <clears throat> This is who in the world, where in the world, what in the world. So who in the world would you bring to this place, anywhere in the world, where in the world is where you'll be going. And if you could, and if you could tell the person, persons living or deceased, tell them um, something about yourself, um, just to give honor, or what would you do to give honor to those people, living or deceased, who helped you become the person you are today, who has given you courage to stand up for people, to be a problem solver, who just gave you your strength. So I'll say that again. Um, where are we going? And who are those people, and what or how would you um, continue on the legacy that has been instilled in you? 
I think I would go to Spain. Okay. Paella? Is, is that in Spain? I think so. Can't say that I am too good with the geography, but um, I think I would go to Spain with my wife, Courtney. Okay. And uh, I think um, I would just um, write a poem. Okay. Are you a poet? I wouldn't say I'm a poet, but... You have some words. Yeah. That's so sweet. Yeah. That's sweet. How has Courtney um, helped you become the person you are today? Yeah, absolutely. That's really sweet, by the way. And <laughs> Valentine's Day is coming up. <laughs> That's really sweet. Um, yeah, uh, you know, it's just, um, you know, something that is completely, like, d different for her um, than it is for me. Um, you know, it's something that she's kind of had to learn mm -hmm. um, how to um, make work within our marriage, but um, we definitely have um, been able to make it work. Um, and like she has um, obviously been supportive in me doing all these things that I've done, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, is uh, leaving the law firm and starting my own business. Um, and at that time, she was pregnant with wow. Marley. So um, then, you know, after I started the business, um, you know, starting to, to write and share my diagnosis, I mean, that's something that, you know, was, um, was very important to me mm -hmm. and, um, you know, very helpful to me. Um, and something that I thought I needed to do for myself. Um, but, you know, that's um, something that is um, not necessarily easy for a spouse. Mm -hmm. um, and, it, you know, she's been able to kind of understand um, that it is important and has um, really helped me just with my um, personal um, wellness. Just, you know, in my ability to enjoy being an attorney and being a dad to a little 21-year-old girl <laughs> and being a husband, you know. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Mm. That's so sweet. Thanks. That's really sweet. Courtney, I'm pretty sure he appreciates you a whole lot, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Reed, just two more questions here. Um, what advice would you give or can you give to someone who was recently diagnosed with a mental health disorder? Yeah, so, you know, I get a lot of um, people who ask me um, questions or who email me, and really what I say is, you know, I can't give any advice, um, but I can share my story. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's really um, what I've found that is is the best route because that really um, just allows people to share their story with me. Mm -hmm. And that's really, um, you know, I'm not a mental health professional. Mm -hmm. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a therapist, you know, and I don't, I don't want to be that for the people that I connect with. Um, but I think that um, it is so important for people who have mental health 
issues to be able to connect with each other. And then it, it is just about sharing and talking mm-hmm. and understanding um, because there's just no way for your the other people that you care about and that care about you to understand you and understand the disease in the same way. I, um, I mean, it, they can understand it, like they can understand you, but um, I think that, and it's, you know, it's different than, than things that you do with a doctor or a therapist. Um, and I think that um, that it's really hard to mm-hmm. do. I think it's um, hard for people to, to find others. Um, you know, it's hard to make yourself go to like group therapy. Um, it's, um, it's something that, you know, even with like, writing and sharing publicly and like being so kind of direct about it that it's mm-hmm. it's hard to do so um yeah I mean when I get the opportunity you know I really just um kind of say like this is um you know what I remember feeling in law school like this is what I did or you know this is um what's worked for me mm-hmm. because I have no idea um you know if what I do or what works for me is is um, going to work for someone else. Um, but I think that just like being um, being open and sharing um, is you know something that that person can like benefit from mm-hmm. and incorporate. However, it works for them, or you know maybe not at all. But just that um, ability to to share is is really the most important thing. Yeah, okay. And how about for, um, you mentioned earlier about JLAP. Yes. For attorneys or new lawyers, um, what advice or what resources can you share? Yeah, I think for um, new lawyers, um, it's just really like sharing that those first five years are, um, you know, so much different than the rest of your career. Um, and those, it's actually like more important to take care of yourself and, um, you know, do the things that you need to do um, because it's so easy to get focused on your career or, you know, the, the pressures or just learning and um, those first five years, I think, can really be um, when people have struggles. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, um, for anyone, um, JLAP can be some, um, can provide support. Like, you know, all of us can have times because of, you know, a specific diagnosis or just something, major life event where you uh, need some help Um, and you know it's something that um, you know you're not necessarily going to be able to um, get support from or want to talk to about with someone in your firm or you know a colleague Mm -hmm. Um, so JLAP is not just for mental health um, or addiction it really they are set up um, for anything that an attorney would have um, questions or problems with um, and so you know really the 
the main thing is just to have the confidence and strength to reach out and ask for help. Like if you know that you need it, mm -hmm. um, and kind of checking in with yourself to you know ask those questions um, to make sure that you are uh, either taking care of yourself or finding out um, you know, how you can get some help and get through it and get back. Because that's, you know, that's really the most important thing is uh, there is treatment. I mean, there is, um, you know, effective ways to manage um, your yourself and these conditions. I mean, it, they can be very um, destructive and, you know, hurtful. Um, and really, um, you know, impact people's um, just ability to enjoy life if you let it, or if not, if you let it, but if you're if the disease is just being untreated. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, if you're if you have a need for medicine and you're not taking the medicine, or if you have a need. Um, you know, for some counseling or support um, and you're not getting it or you don't have the knowledge mm -hmm. um, if you're, or if you're not even diagnosed, um, you know, and those situations are really the scariest. Um, if you have the knowledge and if you're being aggressive um, and you're, you're doing treatment, you know, it's, it's, very, um, it's very likely actually that you'll be able to live and work um, very similarly to someone who doesn't have a mental health diagnosis. And I think, you know, that's um, you know, kind of something that I know, mm -hmm. um, but it's hard to share or, you know, hard to put into words that, yeah, I mean, the reason that I am comfortable talking and sharing is because I don't really feel that I'm, you know, that much different. Right. Well, there you have it. Yeah. There you have it. Thank you so much, Reed. Well, thank you. I very much appreciate uh, your interest and your time and enjoyed talking with you today. Yes. Thank you for connecting. And most importantly, thank you for continuing to be a problem solver. Thank you for remembering to take care of yourself. Thank you for that. And thank you, most importantly, um, you're dispelling this mental health stigma. Thank yeah. you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's, that's what I'm passionate about, and that's what um, you know, gives me a lot of energy to... Um, just connect with people and and be a part of it, you know, be a small part of change. Like that's, you know, that's what I focus on. So. so how can we continue connecting with you? Email, phone number, website? Right. So um, mertlaw.com is the website. Uh, my work email that's on the website is admin at mertlaw.com. Um, the best way to connect with me for any 
mental fitness or just mental health questions is readmentalfitness at gmail.com. So R-E-I-D mentalfitness at gmail.com. And then I do have a Facebook page for mental fitness. Um, that's you know, mostly just sharing like the Indiana lawyer articles, but um, that's another another way to connect. All right. Well, I will surely stay connected with you. And connectors, you heard him. You heard how to connect with him. And you know how to connect with me, ampsconnected.com. Hit me up on Instagram, Twitter, at ampsconnected, or email me, info.ampsconnected at gmail.com. Until next time. Stay connected.